Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> uh, just, Father, I just thank you for the fellowship we share and the joy and peace that's here, for the goodwill and grace and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Your word of God, Lord, which informs us and forms us, Father. And I pray now, Lord, that yet again, your word this morning will form us, recreate us into your image. Amen. So you might like to have your Bibles open, please, at uh, Jonah chapter 3. And if you've got the Bible I've got, it is page 968, but I think it's one of the weary Bibles, and most of those weary Bibles might not be around anymore. Guys, can I uh, just refresh you? Uh, this series started because I sat in uh, the airport in Seoul while there's a snowstorm outside and I opened my Bible up to read it in the duration uh, that I had of six or seven hours between planes and uh, we'd just been speaking to Mongolia and I started reading my Bible at that point in Jonah chapter 4. That's why we're going backwards. There's some wit this morning said, what's the back, well, how do you say Jonah backwards? H-A-N, Hanodj. Yes, Noel called, well, we're doing Hanodj, okay? I, I wish I could claim that I invented that, but I didn't. But that was a clever way. So for this week and the next two weeks, we were looking at Hanodj, a new minor prophet in the Old, in the Old Testament. So, Jonah kept through. I stumbled on this during the week. Well, that, that, that kind of captures Jonah, doesn't it? Probably captures him really at the end of chapter 1, where, where he, um, he ends up in that great fish. But I'm glad we didn't get the picture. I didn't find a picture online of Jonah being spewed up on the beach side of a Mediterranean shore. I don't know that I'd want to particularly see that picture. But anyway, I just thought, here's an artist's impression of what Jonah was, was about to do. So, from the Mediterranean to mercy is what we come to today. Jonah was in the Mediterranean chapter 2, but we'll get to chapter 2 next week. But today he's showing mercy. Finally today, Jonah lets God be God. Chapter 1, he's doing a runner. He's not letting God be God. He's still his own God. Today, his second chance arrives, and he takes it. So does Nineveh. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Okay, you're, out, you're on the land, go back to Nineveh where you were told to go. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now Jonah did not know this truth. He failed to grasp the divine law of reciprocity, the reaping and sowing. What you give is what you get. Now there's a verse in, in uh, James that comes to my mind. And it talks about mercy triumphing over judgment. It says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone that has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Now Jonah was not being merciful when he did the runner and headed to Tarshish instead of heading to Nineveh. He was fleeing God's call on his life. So Jonah was placing himself in the same position as he wanted the Ninevites to be in. He's saying, Lord, 
I want my body to be a place absent of mercy from you. I don't want mercy shown. But really what today's passage is, is that it's a triumph. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the echo. Because we've already heard, we know the end of the story. Note, can you please, please note this? Where mercy fails, judgment will arrive. And that's what's, what's mentioned here when they are given 40 days. When mercy fails, judgment will arrive. There is still the divine day of reckoning. There is still what the old, uh, the old uh, scholars call the greatest size. So the purpose of mercy is not to just defer judgment, but to replace judgment. Judgment was coming upon the wickedness of Nineveh, but they had the opportunity to replace it with mercy. At this stage, there's only 40 days left. So that's the theme I see travelling through this passage. You could probably even say it's a theme, say it's a theme that's travelling through the four chapters of this small book, there, um, that mercy triumphs over judgment. So letting God be God. God has seen the willful, banished and troubled heart of Jonah, but he still does not despise it or look down on Jonah in his day of misfortune. Now I want you to think, please, for a moment. Have you ever heard that old phrase, uh, you make your bed, you lay on it? I, was, I learnt that. I learnt that when I was really young. I heard that all the time I was growing up. You make your bed, you lay, lay on it. That's not a phrase of mercy. That's not a phrase of compassion. That's a phrase of judgment. You cop what, you do, what you've done. Bad luck, that's the way it's going to be. You made those mistakes, you live with the mistakes. But the Lord didn't treat Jonah that way. He could have left Jonah in the storm. He could have left him inside the belly of the great fish, the whale, whatever it was. He did not look down on Jonah in his day of misfortune. In fact, rescued Jonah. Now, the, I think the book in the Bible just before Jonah is Obadiah. It is too. Obadiah. What's it say? In Obadiah somewhere, it's only 21 verses, it says, Do not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune. Verse 12, you should, look, look, you should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune. So when judgment's about to arrive, when judgment's about to arrive, it's really easy to say, Mate, you made your bed, so you lay on it. No, that's not how the Lord works. Because he still wants to show mercy and compassion before he ever shows judgment. So Jonah gets wise. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, so faithfulness rises. Now I want you to reflect, what was it that got Jonah, because I know you know the story and it happens in chapter 2 and we're not there yet, what was it that got Jonah to be obedient to the Lord? Surely it was suffering. I do not expect that three days in the belly of a whale was going to be a pleasant place. Now there is a true story. 
In the eight, late 1800s, when they used to chase whales and harpoon them, you know, big rowboats out in the sea and they handheld harpoons, so they get right next to them. A man fell overboard and he was swallowed by a whale. That whale was literally caught, harpooned 24 hours later. And the man was still alive inside that whale. His, his flesh was bleached white from the acids in the, in the stomach of the, of the beast. And he came out stark raving mad. That's what the story was. Now, that was 24 hours inside a whale. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be three days, but Jonah suffered. But Jonah suffered and then chose obedience. Tells me in 1 Peter 4.1, He who has suffered is done with sin. 1 Peter 4.1 There's a lot of catharsis, there's a lot of cleansing, there's a lot of heartache, but there's a lot of blessing in suffering. Now, I can choose to be obedient to the Lord and to lead my life without suffering, or I can choose to lead my life disobediently and gain the suffering, but God's still not going to let me alone. So Jonah now is in that point where he has become obedient because I believe what's happened in chapter 2, he's been stripped of his sin. He's been stripped of his disobedience. But when we looked at chapter 4 last week, it doesn't look like he'd really been stripped of his disobedience for too long. Now can I make a couple of reflections? These are notes to self. They may be notes to you. You, you, uh, you ordered it as, as the good Lord would lead you. God's chances are always more than I deserve. The chances that God was giving Nineveh a place known for its wickedness was more than they deserved. The chances that God gave Jonah when he's doing a run into Spain when he should have been heading east instead of going west was more than Jonah deserved. The chances God gives are, far, are always far more than I deserve. That is a point of faithfulness. That's a point of thankfulness. That's a point of grace that I can pour through my soul and say, thank you, Lord, my soul may rest, for you have been good to me. Second point, God has restored the heart and body of Jonah, but he still does not own it. We know that because of what happened last week when we saw it. Jonah sitting in the middle of the desert complaining that the judgment hadn't fallen upon Nineveh. So, guys... The restoration of the heart is that the Lord holds our heart and not that we hold our heart anymore, any longer. That's what suffering does to us. And guys, don't judge others before God judges them. Things can change in a moment. Now, Jonah said these people are wicked. I don't want to go and serve these people. But in the first day of Jonah's preaching in Nineveh, the whole town converts and so does the king. Why? Because blessed are the feet of those who bring good news, Romans 10. They had good news brought to them and they responded. So yes, you know, at nine o'clock the night before the motel that Jonah was staying in before he walked into the city of Nineveh, he's probably sitting down having his cup of coffee thinking these people are going to get judged tomorrow. 9am the next morning the whole town's changed. When God's involved, things can change in a heartbeat. So don't judge others prior to God judging them. So grace is actually finite. I've got a few stories to tell you in this one. Now, 
Jonah has a large task. It says there in verse uh, uh, 3 that Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. In my study it said it was the largest city in the, uh, in the then known world with 120,000 back in the 700-odd BC, 750 BC, something like that. Probably was the largest city in the world. So it's a very important city. Jonah had a large task. Nineveh is significant. Please understand that if God asks you to do something and it's a loud call, it's a hard task. The louder the call, the harder the task. Because when you start to complete the task, you start to realise how hard it is. If it's not a loud call, you're going to back out. You're going to think, oh, did God really say that to me? Do I really have to do this? Does God really want me to be here, there, or whatever it is the Lord's got on your heart to do? He's going to speak volumes to you for things that require volumes. He might whisper to you, but it's going to be clear. It's going to be strong. It's going to be firm and it's going to be repeated so that you won't doubt where you're supposed to go to your Nineveh or do what the Lord's asking you to do. The louder the call, the harder the task. Expect it. If you hear a loud call from the Lord, if something's firm on your heart, something's firm in your soul that the Lord wants you to do, don't back out. And it's been placed there firmly because God knows it's going to be hard. What about Noah building the ark? A hundred years building the ark in the middle of a desert. And he's preaching righteousness to a wicked generation. And his wife, I bet his wife's saying, come on, darling, I want you to stop building the ark. Please, can we get a new lounge suite? I can't imagine what it was like standing on the frame of an ark and having people walk past all the day in the middle of the desert. What are you building his boat for, Noah? Oh, well, the Lord told me to do it. 99 years later, see, I was right. About 99.5 years, I think it was, later. The louder the call, the harder the task. So, this is a warning to the violent and the wicked. Only 40 days. He, Noah preaches on the first day Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. There is an urgency, isn't there, to release wickedness. If wickedness is not released, it will not release them. Does that make sense? If wickedness is not released, it will not release them. If I want to multiply sin, if I don't want to let go of sin, sin's going to multiply itself on me. I think that's the nature of the dictions as well. So they are, begin, they are being given the opportunity to release wickedness in their life. These days we envy violent men. Do not envy a violent man, they tell me. Uh, the Bible tells me. But yet violence, as indeed in the days of Nineveh, is multiplied. And I can't get over it. Who's ever watched UFC on telly? United Fight Club. No one here's watched it. Thanks for being honest. It's got a big market. Worldwide, uh, WWE, isn't it? WWF wrestling. Violence is honoured. It's the MA15 Plus shows that get the most traction. That's why they make so many of them. They're all about violence. The Bible says don't envy violent men. But the Lord's saying here, wickedness and its violence is going to bring judgment. So Jonah gets a second chance. Let me tell you about the urgency of second chances. Go back 12 years. 
one o'clock back. I was a different church. And I was called up to the, um, to the church one night, big old building, and there was a man who was semi-inebriated on a Friday night hanging around the church buildings where the youth group was on and the, 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 the youth leaders were worried. So I went up to him and, uh, and uh, had started to have a chat with him. And we ended up sitting up the back of the church. Now the man wasn't in a state that you'd think he should be driving a car, but he wasn't in a state where you couldn't have a sensible conversation either. Does that make sense? So we sat over the back of the church probably for 40, 45 minutes having a chat. And during that chat, he poured his heart out. He was, he, he was doing life really hard. He's a man in his early 60s, I think. And he had no end of heartache, which had led him to the doors of the church, about half an hour away from where he lived, where he'd started to drink. So he'd driven for half an hour in his state anyway. And he got out to where, where I was. So I talked to him about the good Lord. And I said, I said to him, you know, that you need to, to ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. Would you like to do that? And we're sitting at the back of the church. He said, yes, I would like to do that. I said, well, let's get down on our knees. I'll need a little beside you. We'll do it. He said, no. Oh, okay. And so what do you want to do? I don't even remember the man's name now, but that's irrelevant to the story. He said, I wanted to go. He wanted to go to the front of the church where the communion rail was. And he wanted to go on his own, and he wanted to do his own um, peace with God. So he did. I let him walk up the church. It's a big church, so I don't know, 20 metres away or something. And for about five or ten minutes, he stood and prayed, no, knelt and prayed at the communion rail. And I just sat silently up the back. Now, so then he comes back, and he's in a, uh, not in a state of cheer, but he's in a state of equilibrium anyway. He's a bit calmer. And so um, he's, he goes to drive home. I said, mate, don't drive home. We had a half an hour run to get home, and it was this was about eight o'clock at night, so the traffic was off the road, or more off the road, and he drove home. I couldn't dissuade him from driving home. Now then, so one o'clock forward six weeks, and it's fascinating because we got forty days. These guys got forty days. How long's that? Six weeks. Six weeks later, I get a phone call from a funeral director. Yeah, can I do so-and-so's funeral? Okay. Now, I didn't know this guy's name, but it was his funeral. It was his funeral, and I only found out it was his funeral when I talked to his family, and they explained to me his trip to the church that night and his responses. Now, he had a troubled family, he had a troubled life, and obviously alcohol was part of it, but they remembered that night very, very clearly. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because the chances God gives you are finite. Let me tell you another story. True story. When, when I was meeting with that man, I did not know his life was going to be required of him 40 days later. Now, so wind the clock back another 20 years prior to that, 15 years, 20 years prior to that. And I get a call to go to, to, go to the hospital. Late one night, the, the nurse calls me. and said, we need you in here, someone's not going to make it through the night. Turns out the man was a Vietnam vet. And he's in his early 50s. I would have been in my late 30s, I suppose, then. It doesn't matter. But so he's older than me. And I think he was dying of smoking, uh, of the cancer he gained from smoking. But he's a Vietnam vet. So he's a man who was reasonably hardened. And the nurses had called me in. He hadn't called me in. 
So I went to sit with him beside his bed and I had a chat with him. And, uh, and he didn't have much time to live. And I said, look, mate, are you ready to meet your maker? Had a bit of a chat. And he says, look, I've got to get my pain under control. But, mate, you mightn't make it through the night. I've got to get my pain under control. Now, if I remember accurately the story, he didn't want to hear about Jesus that night, but he didn't die. Another two or three days go past, and I go back to the hospital and have another chat with him. Still in the same bed. And so, so what's happened? Well, I don't remember his name either. What's happening? Uh, do you want to make peace with your maker? you want to turn to the good Lord? He said, no, I've still got to bring my pain under control. Can you see the different responses? One man was ready to turn to Jesus and he didn't know he was going to die and this man did know he was going to die and he wasn't ready to turn to Jesus. But either way, the opportunity is finite. The first man didn't know his opportunity was finite. The second man did and he wouldn't turn to Jesus. That man who was going to die within, one, uh, within, within an evening didn't die within an evening. He died within three weeks. I did not do the funeral, but I'm advised that he, he was still as resistant to finding out about the good Lord and doing, making peace with him as he was the first time I met him. See the difference. The chances God gives us aren't staying forever. The time is going to come when they too will be withdrawn. There's an urgency to lay hold of the second chances because divine opportunities are fleeting. It is as necessary to take them as drawing breath because I need to have one breath now that I can have the next breath later. Guys, the king here stands up and gets off his throne. Verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. I love that phrase. It's pregnant with meaning. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. The king grabs the gravity and the cost of sin and he strips himself of all the thing that had made him into being a king, sitting on his throne and all his finery. And he humbles himself and makes himself vulnerable as a normal human being that he wouldn't have been vulnerable as if he had stayed as a king. That was a step of faith. We must depose ourselves in our lives if we are going to allow the Lord to rule. I cannot be my king anymore. And is that not the nature of true worship? Stepping away from my throne and my right to rule me. One man did, one man didn't. Man, one man was in his pain control, the other man was under the control of alcohol. One man put away the alcohol, the other man didn't put away his desire for pain control. Now there's no way that pain control was ever going to stop him from becoming a Christian. He could still become a Christian and pursue his pain control. But that was the excuse that he made to not step off his throne. He still thought he knew best how to run his own life, even as he knew he was approaching death. That's the nature of true worship. I have to get off my throne and trust the Lord with it. The king did that. He took off his royal garments. He made himself like everything, everybody else. He put on sackcloth and he sat in dust. He was saying, I'm not ruling me anymore. He's saying, I'm going to take this step of faith. 
Can I ask the question, who is more likely to hurt me, me or Jesus? Think about that for a moment. The decisions I make about me or the decisions Jesus makes for me, who is more likely to hurt me? I am, aren't I? He's going to want to bring good to me. He's going to want to bring compassion and mercy. He's not going to want to fill me with heartache and hardship. He's going to bring blessing and take burden. The Ninevites did in verse 9 exactly the opposite of Jonah. See, Jonah didn't want to let God be God. Jonah didn't want God to show compassion. Jonah didn't want God to show mercy. He wanted God to show judgment. But hear the the Ninevites say, Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Jonah didn't want God to be God, but the wicked people of Nineveh did. They permit God to be God. Now there's a trigger in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Guys, can I say that repentance triggers compassion and compassion triggers repentance? I've seen somebody treat me with compassion so I will respond to them correctly, not vengefully. God saw the repentance of the Ninevites and so his compassion was triggered. I read an interesting story this week. Who read the Herald this week? Nobody read it in the early service either. Oh, I just got on the Al Capone at the traffic lights, mate. Yeah, Herald must be struggling. <laughs> There's a story in the Herald. Now, you, this, is, this is an amazing little story, but I had to read it. I had to go back to it twice so I could finish it. There's a lady, she moved to Nambour. She lived in Brisbane and she moved to Nambour on the Sunshine Coast. She's retired. Sounds like a good idea to me. So she moved to Nambour, her and her husband. Now, when you live in Nambour, I gather that what you do is you go to the bolo. Uh, did anybody hear bowl? Lawn bowls. 43% of the world's bowlers are found in Australia. 43%, that's another discussion. Now, this lady, they both, her and her husband joined the club. I don't remember her name, it's irrelevant anyway. And they had a fight over a dishwasher. A dishwasher. No, <laughs> I think it didn't work. But it could have been who was unpacking or who was packing, I'm not sure, but anyway. So they had a fight over a dishwasher. Now, this fight ended up in her losing her membership of the club. What happened was you have to renew your membership every 12 months, and if it doesn't renewed, if it's not renewed, um, you've got to apply again to be a member and then get voted in. So she hadn't renewed the membership of the club. She just the, the date had just slipped her mind or whatever, and uh, and so when it went to the vote to get her back into the club, or her and her husband back in the club, the husband got got elected in, but she didn't. 
And we're talking big numbers. So like there's 60 people voted for and 580 voted against. Something like that. There's a really big push against this lady because of the blue that happened over a dishwasher. Now let's get this in perspective. There's a message in this. It's about compassion and repentance. So this lady was not to be outdone. So after losing that battle in the club, she went to the Nambool, she went to the, there was a ladies bowling club, so she went to the men's bowling club and they couldn't help her. So then she went to the Nambool Association of Bowlers. So that couldn't help her. So then she went to the Brisbane Association of Bowlers and they couldn't help her. And then she went to the Queensland Association of Bowlers and they couldn't help her. So then she sought legal action. Now, I gather this started in 2014, so it's probably it's just hit the news, so yeah, it's four years. And it's true. It's still online. You can read this one online. So anyway, so it went through various courts. She got, the, she got solicited on, solicitors onto this, went through various courts, and it ended up, true story, no word of a lie, in the Supreme Court of Queensland. Now, just reflect for a moment. This is in the Supreme Court. And there's a fight over a dishwasher. And, and I'm suspecting that they've got the pictures of Nambul Bolo up there online. It's not exactly a modern building. So it probably had a $450 Dick Smith washer in it. Or, or a washer that was made, a dishwasher that's 30 years old. So it might have been a, a, an old dishwasher, just to create the story. So it went to the Supreme Court and, she, and they found in favour of her. Now I don't know why. I could be suspicious and say unkind things, but I won't do that, it's public. So they found in favour of her. Now she had spent $38,000 in legal costs to get to this point to fight for over a dishwasher. Now then Nambour Bowling Club gets a $38,000 awarded against them, so they've got to pay her back as well, which must mean that Nambour would have spent $38,000 on legal costs as well. Now, I didn't think Nambour Bowling Club looked like it had $38,000. So I don't know where the money came from. Now, I, I, I was reading that story out to my wife the other night. It's trivial, it's foolish, but there just needed to be a little trigger there, didn't there, of compassion. A little trigger saying, I'm sorry. And it didn't have to get anywhere near that. The judgment came, the judgment came against the bolo, the bolo, I thought the judgment was unreasonable, but the whole thing's unreasonable. God led by compassion. There needed to be somebody there in that little incident that led by compassion. The Ninevites didn't go looking for God, but God went looking for them. He still does that today. He did that to that fellow that came to the church 12, 15 years ago that was drunk. And God went looking for the man lying in the bed, the Vietnam vet. God still holds compassion to this day. So let's sum this up. You're feeling hungry, aren't you? Faithfulness is only possible when unfaithfulness is available. I can't be faithful if I've got no chance to be unfaithful, can I? That's why there were two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. If we only had the tree of life in there, the faithfulness was never going to be available. Faithfulness is only possible when unfaithfulness is available. That's what Jonah lived. That's what he learned. And that's what 
we are faced with each day. Do I choose for faithfulness or unfaithfulness? God knows our heart because he sees the choices we make. He knew the heart of Adam and Eve because he saw the choices they made. Our heart is revealed by our choices. Unfaithfulness is the sure course of suffering. Look at Jonah in chapter 2. How long can you tread water for, Jonah? Unfaithfulness is a sure course of suffering. Of course, the Ninevites here had suffering removed. Not only their wickedness to each other was replaced with uh, compassion, but of course they didn't meet uh, God's judgment. Did you notice this week Malcolm Turnbull's been a bit active? He's suffering a little bit. He's a bit, bit, bit antsy about losing his position as Prime Minister. Oh, I don't want to get into politics, but I want to say you reap what you sow. He was unfaithful prior. He got his job through unfaithfulness, stabbing someone in the back. So now when somebody does the same thing to him, he is now suffering. It pays forward unless there's an intervention of compassion. My second chances are never just for me. I'm a river. I am not a reservoir. Jonah didn't get swallowed by a whale so that he could get a suntan on some Mediterranean beach. He was sent to Nineveh again. Restoration is for reproduction, not just for your own well-being. Now, can I ask? Can I take? Can I encourage you to take courage? For Jonah proves that God doesn't give up on mess-ups. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I'll put my hand up. Who's made mess-ups in their life? Big mess-ups, little mess-ups. Don't, don't show me, but I'll, I'll be honest, guys. God still proves. Jonah still proves that God doesn't give up on me as a mess-up. He doesn't give up on you as a mess-up. He doesn't give up on the wicked or the disobedience. In fact, you know what God does? God uses the mess-ups. The people that other people see you messed up, mate. The people that other people despise. The people that say you made your bed, you lie on it. God doesn't say that. He uses the mess-ups. Be encouraged. Your mess-up can become your strength when it's in God's hands. To this day, God remains the God of a million chances because to this day, mercy still triumphs over judgment. Let's bow our head. Oh Lord, we are only here because mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh Lord, write, write that passage from James on our hearts, Lord, that we may live as merciful folk and see your mercy and pass that on to others, Lord. Amen.